This is the Story Factor Podcast, Episode 11. Listen as Jim Signorelli tells us how he helps clients find their authentic story. Welcome to the Story Factor Podcast with Annette Simmons. Story is the oldest form of influence in human history. Annette is the author of The Story Factor, Territorial Games, and Whoever Tells the Best Story Wins. When you stimulate human emotions with a story, you point those emotions in a certain direction. Now Annette is here to help you inspire, influence, and persuade through the art of storytelling. No one will complain if you substitute a story for a PowerPoint slide. Notice I'm not using PowerPoint and there's no handouts. My goal is that this actually be valuable enough that you remember it. And now your host, she makes chocolate-dipped candied orange peels for Christmas presents. Here's Annette Simmons. Welcome to the Story Factor Podcast. I'm Annette Simmons, and I really believe that becoming a better storyteller improves all areas of our life. Our guest this week is Jim Signorelli. He's the author of a fabulous book called Story Branding, and you can find his website at www.eswpartners.com. Jim recently changed the name of their company to ESW Story Lab. Here he tells us a little bit about his experiments with storytelling. I began our conversation by asking about a wonderful video he has on YouTube. He created it to explain his book, Story Branding. In it, he offers a wonderful comparison between the stories of Reebok and Adidas. The interview is flawed a bit. There's some keyboard sounds. I promise you, it was not me typing. Somebody must have been taking notes while Jim talked. But I hope you enjoyed it anyway. So I was just watching your video and about Reebok and Adidas. Yeah, right. Is that, you created that for your book? Well, it really is more for the agency. Story branding is a, an approach that we use with our clients. And that video was really an introduction to the concept that we use with clients. When did you do the video? Oh, man, I think about a year ago. Maybe yeah. Less, a little less than a year. It was right after the book came out. I think it's a fantastic use of story. Thank you. Coming from you, that's a high compliment. Well, it's, and and what I'd like to do is I'd like to jump in and and kind of check out your personal process. Because, you know, the creative process of finding a story is where I'm putting all my interest. Because I think there's a whole lot of people out there showing people how to tell stories. And um, finding the story is the real thing. And what I love about your video is that you talk about how you can't just pick a story and then pretend like that's your, your new, new you. Absolutely. Um, it's got to be true. So what did you do? What was your process in you personally selecting the Reebok and Adidas stories? Well, let me back up for a second because you uh, uh, triggered a very important point that we try to make with all of our clients, with anybody who we're all talking to about story. And that is that there's a very big difference between storytelling and story branding. Storytelling is like you said, just telling a story. Story branding is really trying to find that value or belief that the brand is uh, needs to be associated with. 
that really becomes the brand's story. It's a living story. It's dynamic. It's always there uh, through everything that it does, through all of its people, through the way it behaves, the products it sells, the services it delivers, etc. Um, and what we try to do is really start with the client. Uh, many marketing agencies start with the consumer trying to figure out, okay, what is it they want, and then trying to match the brand to whatever that need might, might be. But we, we do it in reverse. For the purpose of authenticity, we try to understand the client from the inside out. What is it that motivates them to do what they do? What is their purpose? Oftentimes, we're not able, they're not able to define that. Uh, it's there, but... Uh, our challenge is to help them discover it. And we use a number of diff different techniques to help them to do that. Um, and once it's there, uh, the rest just falls into place. And the reason we use Nike um, is because without going through this process, they came out with the uh, end result that uh, we try to achieve. And that is that a brand is not its products, it is not its facts, it is not uh, what makes it different or what we refer to as the unique selling proposition. A brand is a value or a belief that it subscribes to. And uh, Nike does a terrific job of communicating that through their campaign, Just Do It, and through everything that they do as a brand. Um, associating with the idea of athletic accomplishment. Um, and, and, and that's kind of what, you know, what we're trying to do with, with brands is really help them to find uh, that value or belief and for the purpose of going after, quote, joiners as opposed to just buyers. Joiners are a lot better because they keep coming back and they tell all their friends about what what they're doing and, and why they're in fact buying the products that they're buying. Um, buyers are here today and maybe gone tomorrow. Was Nike an inspiration to you from the very beginning? It truly was. I think it's one of the greatest campaigns um, next to perhaps Think Different, which is the Apple campaign that started 25 years ago. Right. So, um, so, what, what I hear you saying in terms of your personal creative process is that that was your personal uh, a mentoring brand. It was. That, that drove you to do what you're doing. So you're practicing what you preach. Well, I'm practicing what they preach. Um, well, actually, because if you're asking somebody to come up with their personal value, you're demonstrating that. In my mind, you know, the who I am story and showing others the the your personal story which happened to be while you're telling the story in um kind of a third person way you're also telling your personal who i am and why i'm here story by sharing you know your personal motivations exactly right right that motivation is a key word annette because uh that's really what we're trying to get at what is the motivation uh that the company has beyond its profit motive. What is its purpose? Um, you know, w w we tell our clients, you know, we don't really, certainly we care about your point of difference, but we care more about your point of view. So, um, 
I'm assuming you also get pushback when when uh, you say it's not about you know your profit; it's about your purpose. And then people say it's it's about the profit. What what do you t tell a client when when they say, well, without profit, we don't do anything? Or do you get that? Uh, no, because we don't we don't discount profit um, entirely. We just say that there's a you know if if you make profit your number one motive. Um, you could end up doing a lot of wrong things. Um, you could end up, for instance, uh, I don't know. Let me give you an example. Um, um, oh, okay. Well, you can you can make money off a of war. I mean, for exactly. me, it's a no brainer. Exactly. I'm just I'm just surprised that that clients have changed so much in how they are willing to embrace purpose. And and I I know that it's always been there. But I just think it's an easier sell now. What do you think? It's getting there. I think with entrepreneurs, it's clearly an easier sell uh -huh. uh, because it, entrepreneurs have a you know they start with an idea and a passion for that idea, and they are typically in place to you know during uh, to, during the whole life of that idea. Okay, uh, when you work with corporations, sometimes. You know, the chief marketing officer, the CEO is here for 18 months. I think the average life of a CMO now is 22 months. Um, and they don't really have the long-term vision or the passion for that vision that somebody who's starting his own business uh, does. Right. So um, it, it, it's a little more difficult with corporations uh, who have many, many stakeholders that have to be appeased uh, on a quarterly basis, you know, and they're always looking at sales numbers and how do we do versus last year. And, and, and that's important. Clearly that's important, but the long-term vision piece, the purpose is not something that there is, it, uh, involved with, uh, as an entrepreneur is naturally. Well, then what do you, do with the CMO, I guess they've been there six months probably before they hire you. You know they're going to be gone in 18. Um, how do you create that conversation? Well, we help them to see uh, the advantage of being more purpose-driven. Uh, and, and we show some examples of brands that have succeeded very well out of that uh, out of that uh, ethic. What are some of those? Oh, well, Nike, clearly, right. Apple, uh, Harley-Davidson, uh, which is a brand all about independence and freedom. Uh, the Ritz uh, Hotels, which is a brand about gentlemen and, and ladies helping gentlemen and ladies. I think that's their, their mantra. Um, um, Corona Beer, which is a, a beer about relaxation. Um, you know, we, we just provide lots and lots of examples uh, to help them to see how this works. Right. Examples that we've worked on as well um, and show that over time, uh, these, are, these are brands that are far more successful. In fact, there's a book that's written on the subject uh, by a guy by the name of Stangle. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Annette, but he was the worldwide... Uh, uh, chief marketing officer for Procter & Gamble for a number of years. And he wrote this book called Grow. And what he did was uh, conduct a longitudinal study over 10 years. 
And he looked at brands that haven't what he referred to as an ideal or what I would refer to as having a story or a purpose. And he compared those to the S&P over the same 10-year period and showed that they grew 400% more than brands that, uh, that didn't quite have that well-defined ideal. Um, so to answer your question, we, 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 it takes some educating uh, because we're typically – trained to look for that unique selling proposition without any regard for the brand's purpose. Um, that's the way many of us in marketing have been trained. So we have to re-educate. Um, and you do that, obviously, by using stories and statistics, the, the magic combination. Exactly. And then, then what do you do? Uh, then we start to dive in and we uh, meet with the senior management and we assess uh, where they've been, uh, where they are now, and where they hope to go. How do you do that? Um, do you use, uh, well, how do you do that? I'll shut up. Well, <laughs> well, well we do a couple things. One is, uh, we, this is what we call gathering the backstory, and it's our first step, and it's just, you know, understanding the situation, getting into the archives of the company, and learning about what worked and what didn't work. And, um, do you give them assignments, or y'all doing that on their behalf? Uh, we do. We uh, once we're able to gather the facts and ask the questions that need to be asked, then what we do is we uh, one technique we use is uh, what we call archetypal analysis, where we present a number of different archetypes, whether it be the rebel, the the provider, the the explorer. Um, there are a number of them that we use, and uh, we ask everybody in the room to tell us what they think this brand really is all about in, in, um, it, by describing it as one of these or more than one of these archetypes. And we go around the room and we listen to everybody and talk about why they picked whatever archetypes they did. And we look for consistency and we look for inconsistency. We often find more inconsistency than we do consistency. I think that's, you know, I always wanted to do research where the, the objective was to find uh, a, a large standard deviation. Because I think that that tells you as much as, as, you know, finding a low standard deviation. Exactly. And it helps to bring to the fore the problem. You know, it's, it's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, half of you are saying that you're the rebel and the other half is saying that you're the you know, the magician, I mean, uh, how do we resolve this? You know, and then people start talking and all of a sudden, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a uh, collaboration, if you will, about what this vision is and who we really are. And um, uh, more often than not, in fact, I can't, it, I can't recall a case where we haven't uh, come to some agreement, we do find that overriding universal value that everybody in the room can agree to. Uh, it takes some work and it takes, you know, more than one meeting to get there, but uh, everybody uh, is engaged because they know uh, from previous discussions that we've had with them just how important it is to find that, that purpose. When you have the people in the room, um, I'm, I have, of course, sales training teaches you have to have the right people in the room, the decision makers. And one of the th things with large corporations I remember being frustrated with is that 
um, you would be able to discuss with all the marketing people. You guys came to some sort of conclusion and then it was their responsibility to communicate it to the CEO. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh no, 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 not that. Have you oh, run into that? Absolutely. And that's why we have to have the CEO in the room. Right. Um, it, 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 it puts too much of a burden on the CMO to create the vision for the company. Yeah, exactly. And and if it if the CEO isn't the room in the room, uh, you know we're we're wasting everybody's time. Really are because it, it's got to be something that uh, the CEO not only supports but promotes, and has to promote it through all divisions of the company. Otherwise, it's just not going to be work. It's it's just not going to work. No, and it has to be at every touch point. I mean, the customer exactly. service person has to act in a way that's consistent with that that value. It's you know this whole idea of of coming up with the story, um, a large corporation having one story. My definition of story has always been that stories are highly specific, mm -hmm. and so um, when I when we tell uh, you know personal stories it's much more meaningful than if we have this general, you know, we are in the business of. And yet there has to be some generalization when it comes to a large corporation story. So you're saying that, if I understand you correctly, that you're generalizing based on a brand, I mean, based on a value or a belief. Exactly. And yet that's very specific. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, and, um, Right now, as a matter of fact, we're working with some um, um, scholars from Stonehill College right now, and they're helping us develop an assessment tool that would make it even easier for uh, the management of a company uh, to, to arrive at that specific value. And the way we're approaching this is, first, we're helping them become more familiar with what a story is. So we'll give them a story. It could be an Aesop's fable. It could be whatever. And we'll have them tell us what the meaning of that story is. And then we'll have them write a story about something that they think is meaningful about the company. And out of that, now that they know what stories do and what their purposes are, uh, they are better equipped to think of their brand as something that is that should be meaningful and through their stories communicate that meaning and then uh, you know we will do an analysis of all of the stories and come back to them with uh, some analytics about who told us what and what the main story was if in fact there was a main story or what the uh, the differences are that would exist within the management group and you know, resolve to, again, get to a very specific one sentence, one sentence value proposition that becomes their story. That's interesting. As, um, and, and that begins to, to uh, conflict with something that, that I've believed, and I'm always willing to give up my beliefs um, because it's absolutely necessary. I think that's what learning is, is actually giving up something you thought was true, yeah. uh, at least as an adult. But one of my beliefs has been is that it's the conversation about, you know, who are we and why are we here, that it's not about, you know, finding that one archetypal story 
um, so much as it is the process of, of this discussion that alters people's belief systems and that causes them to really come to their own conclusions internally that this is our story. Do you think that you'll sacrifice anything when you, when you kind of do that work for them? Well, they're actually doing the work themselves because they're writing the stories. Okay. Um, And they're, they're articulating uh, the meaning uh, that they associate with their company through their stories. But you're still giving them a shortcut. Yeah, we are, but we're helping them. Uh, You know, it's hard to, uh, it's hard for management types uh, to, you know, who are trained in thinking in terms of numbers and facts and statistics. It's hard for them to come up with the words. Right. It's hard for them to articulate Uh what the story is. So our purpose is really to help them to do that, to provide them with the stimulus that's going to create uh, thought and, and, and uh, stimulate uh, the thinking that's really required, something completely different and that works out of a different side of the brain. Right. I mean, that's what I'm big on that. Yeah. So, so uh, that's really, you know, what we're trying to do. We, we see ourselves as catalysts. We're not there to create the story. We're there to find Oh, no, no, no. I, I totally agree about, about not creating it and having them create it. What, what I'm, I'm coming to the conclusion as I, I listen to you is that you, you give them a shortcut in the resolution of the differences. So, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you try to find that one or maybe two possibilities uh, so that they can recognize it when they see it instead of having to create it from scratch. Exactly. Yes, because when we come up with what we, when we synthesize it all into what we think everybody's telling us, what we look for is 100% agreement. Not only agreement rationally, but agreement emotionally. Oh, yeah. That is who we are. That's the response that we're looking for. And so you, have you tested this, uh, this process? One of the things, I, let me just say another thing I love about the process is that you start with them coming up with a meaning of a story and you begin to build their muscles, their emotional, uh, what I call the subjective thinking muscles, um, and, and then ask them to tell a story. I mean, I believe that you give a story to get a story. That's just exactly what you're doing. You're using a whole lot of different dynamics of human nature in uh, creating this process. That's exactly why we're doing it. Yeah. That's exactly why we're doing it. And you asked if we're testing it, and uh, yes, we are. In fact, uh, we're going to have a sample of, I think, about 400 different uh, uh, people from different companies participate in this process to help us to arrive at um, uh, not only uh, a better definition of archetypes uh, than the one we're currently using, because we're not sure if what we're using is correct. Where did you get what you're using? Well, we, we, what we're using is largely, it largely stems from uh, a study that was conducted by uh, Carol uh, Pearson. And it's uh, documented in her book. Um, oh boy, what is it? Angels and 
Oh my! I, I, I know the one you're talking. I'll, I'll I'll Google it while we're talking. Yeah, I can't. Oh, that's terrible because uh, she had done a, a, a study um, in conjunction with a union psychologist to arrive at twelve archetypes that really uh, define the universe of brands. And uh, so, using the sample that we've de we've developed, we're trying to discern whether in fact those archetypes are are valid and reliable uh and uh yeah the hero and the outlaw i think it. that's it very good um but yeah we're just we're testing to see if there are any others that are missing or if those that that we're working with in fact are the most relevant um so that uh, coming out of this exercise you know, we're still using archetypes, but uh, we're getting to what the archetypal definition of a brand is through the stories that the management group would provide. That sounds like another book. It does. It does. And I've got all the time in the world to do one, too. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It really does. It's very exciting. We're, we've been working on this for about uh, six months now, and... Uh, Hopefully, we're going to have it in place by the first of the year. What's the field of the scholars you're working with? They are, uh, yeah, they're marketing okay. uh, professors uh, that specialize in narrative. Narrative marketing is what they refer to their area or their discipline, I guess. Um, and uh, we connected uh, about six months ago as a result of an article that I read, I wrote and they read and we got together and figured out that, boy, we could really do something together with this and the rest is history. That's going to be really cool. Yeah, it really is. So the 400 people, you're going to be asking them to tell you a story after you've told them a story, basically, and then you'll analyze those? Well, we haven't yet. Um, it, it's a little too soon to... to, to um, talk about how exactly we're going to go about doing this, but uh, that is what you just suggested is one of the alternatives that we're thinking about. We have to make this very simple. Uh, we're trying to make it computer-based so that, uh, you know, it's just question-answer kind of a thing so that they can uh, simply uh, participate in the survey. Uh, yeah, I, the, I, I'm not fond of surveys either. I'm going to leave it to the left-brainers to figure out. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, the, um, I'm doing some research in healthcare right now, and um, interviews produce the best true stories. Whereas, as you know, with marketing surveys, aren't good predictors of of future behavior or of the reasons for past behaviors. Because, of course, we behave based on emotions, exactly. and then we explain it with our logic brain. Um, I just haven't had much much trust in surveys. Right. Well, it's it's um, it's going to be a combination of uh, survey, but there also will be a lot of interaction. It'll be tell us a story, uh, or what's uh, you know there will be some uh, engagement that's a lot more open-ended than what Oh, we're good. Good. Yeah. Okay. So they understand that part. Questions, you know, that sort of thing. So, and, um, our, I'm sorry, methodology is like, I'm a geek with that. <laughs> I guess they'll record and, and, um, and, uh, 
transcribe these right. stories. Right, right. It's it's very likely that in fact what we'll do is conduct interviews. Right. As opposed to uh, just, you know, pencil and paper. But I don't know. You know, that again is something that we're looking at because we're trying to get as many people to participate in this sample as possible. Um, you know, and it's, uh, you know, to conduct uh, 400 interviews, it's a little bit. Well, so anybody who wants to find out more about this research or participate in the research, how would they find you? Well, they can email me uh, at uh, Jim S, as in Sam, at ESWstorylab.com. Great, great. And if they want to find uh, your website, how do they find your website? Uh, that is ESWstorylab.com. That new website is just fascinating. That doesn't look like it came from a template. Ah, yeah, we have a guy that is just phenomenal at uh, pulling that stuff together. And uh, he he worked on that for a good three or four months. And uh, it really does uh, communicate what we want communicated about what stories are and and uh, how they can and should be applied to, to marketing. He did a fabulous job. I think it's just a beautiful website. Really pass, well done. I'll pass that on to you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm very impressed. Well, um, we've reached the end of episode one, and uh, I want to thank you for participating, and I will look forward to listening to what you have to say at episode two of right. Jim Signorelli. Thanks very much. Thank you, Annette. I appreciate it. That was Jim Signorelli, and this is Annette Simmons saying thank you for listening to the Story Factor podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Please send me a message on Twitter at the Story Factor or on email, Annette at AnnetteSimmons.com. I'm always interested in hearing your opinions and ideas on who you might like me to interview next.